Josh. Um, you know, it seems like you're really busy these days. Hmm. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate you coming down. Absolutely. So before we kick things off, um, just want to point everyone in the direction of uh, Datsusara Bags, who you can uh, check out if you want to get all hemp uh, MMA equipment, or um, you know, even if you don't train MMA, you can use those bags to carry computers, you know, whatever. If you go out on a, a trip, you can put your clothes in there. I find them very useful. And also uh, on it, who um, provide all like you know health sort of things such as uh, supplements, um, organic nut butters, exercise equipment, all that sort of stuff. So if you go to the everythingwithblackmedia.com website and you look to the right, you'll see links to both of those uh, stores. And if that's something that you're interested in, check it out. And I get to wet my beak. That's one of the ways that uh, you know things work these days. You know what I mean? <laughs> so since the last time um, we met, what, what have you got going on now? When oh, it was a while ago. Yeah. So, um, well, recently, uh, I'll, I'll go uh, from most recent. Uh, I just launched. Uh, I'm doing a new issue of my magazine, Suspect Device. I just launched the Kickstarter uh, two days ago. I've got. I'm doing. A new issue for retrofit uh, comics. Um, uh, it's called Theft instead of Seth. It's this character named Seth, and it's like the other kids abuse him. So it's like, hey, Theft, Theft. And so uh, he is kind of based on me. When I was a kid, they call me Joth, Joth, really? Joth. Oh yeah, Joth. So we, uh, I'm doing that. It's called Theft, and Theft is coming out on in uh, June, I think. Uh, I'm doing an appearance tomorrow on Sunday. I'm running a panel at the um, Mocha Festival. Uh, what else? I think um, as far as like when I'm editing and releasing. Oh, I'm working on uh, Skillshare. I have a meeting with Skillshare on Tuesday. I'm like going to be doing online classes. Okay. Like, top of the classes I do in New York. So yeah, I've been quite quite a little workaholic. The last year more, more. Oh, that's good yeah it sounds like all good stuff yeah totally yeah at least you're not like you know digging working in a coal mine or something like that where you know you're uh well that's real work that's real work right yeah <laughs> <laughs> well for me i got violently ill over the weekend that was uh probably the most uh you know intense thing i've dealt with for a while you know vomiting body pain you know all that good stuff like right now i'm still a little sick you could probably hear it in my voice you know, I don't have that, like, stentorian tenor voice that I normally have. Sort of this, you know, muling, you know, <laughs> kind of weak uh, delivery that I'm going to have. I'm going to have that for the rest of the podcast, unfortunately. Um, but as some of you might know, uh, last week, the uh, album title and artwork for the New Tombs record was released. And uh, I'm real excited about that. Um, that's the official release date is June 10th. And, um, you know, we're all really, really excited about that. Um, so, yeah. And uh, immediately during that period, uh, we're going to go out on tour with Pelican on the West Coast. This will be like the third time we tour with those guys. So, like, you know, we're all friends and everything. And also uh, an added bonus is Mike Gallagher, the former guitar player, one, one of the guitar players in ISIS. Hmm. His new uh, band is actually on that tour as well. So it's going to be... Like a bunch of friends, and it's gonna be cool. What was the last album you guys did before this one? Uh, it was a uh, path of uh, path of totality. 
when year? it came out in uh, 2011. Okay. Yeah, so it's you know it's been a few years. I think I'm one behind. What did you come out with before that? That was uh, Winter Hours. That's the last one I have. Oh, you don't have Path of Totality? No. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. Hook me up. Yeah, totally. Dude. Yeah. I, I thought you had that. No. Oh, uh-huh. wow. Okay. But, um, but yeah, that's all good stuff. We're doing um, Temple's Fest in England uh, early early May, sharing the stage with uh, my idols, Neurosis, as well as some other great bands. There's uh, Ammon Roz also playing the same day we're playing. Uh, our friends in uh, Storm of Light. Who we toured with a couple of years ago. Uh, it's just going to be an all-around like great, you know, weekend of like, you know, heavy rock music. You know, so it should be a lot of fun. It's going to be one of those deals. Where we fly in, do the gig, fly out. So, <laughs> you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully it's not too crazy. Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, tonight, mm-hmm. one of the things I wanted to start doing was to sort of uh, get into this uh, classic records podcast. You know, add like another little nuance to what I'm doing with the podcast and just pick records out where we thought, you know, were important to us and uh, talk about it. Mm-hmm. So this uh, flagship episode of that classic records is um, in my head by Black Flag, their last album. So, you know, a lot of people don't like that record, though. Hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah. I also read that in my head was initially intended to be Greg Ginn's first solo album. Yeah. Yeah, we so, were talking about that, yeah. Yeah. And I was telling you, I was like, I can really hear his voice singing the title track for sure. But didn't Rollins at least provide some lyrics to a couple of the songs? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was something I, I wanted to research a little bit. Okay, so let's see. There's Black Love and there's White, White Hot. I know I saw... I think I saw the lyrics to Black Love in one of his or one of his old books. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. like well, handwritten. Before we get into that, let's make a differentiation here. The LP version, um, also, I mean, there's a difference between the CD and the LP. Mm. The CD also tacks on the "I Can See You" EP. Sure. You know, so um, so there's three extra songs on the on the uh, CD. Don't. So that would be "Out of This World," "I Can See You." And you let me down, which uh, were not on the vinyl release of uh, in my head. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that's that's, that's you know and that was the last um, that was a black flag release that came out without Pettibone art. You know, I only can, the only yeah, other one that you. came out. Yeah, yeah, until the recent album was the only other thing that came out without Pettibone art was damaged. It was like some kind of weird graphic of a gun sight or something. Yeah, yeah. The I can see you EP has like the crosshairs of a of a rifle. You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was yeah. There was no petty bone on that. Oof, you see that she again was trying to blame uh, Chavo for the <laughs> album art that and for the failure of the new Black Flag album. No, I don't mean to just talk shit, but yeah, I just read that was there was a press release in RollingStone dot com. And it was just like, Gin was just trying to throw Chavo under the bus and saying stuff like, you know, hopefully the fans will forgive us for just like one album that wasn't completely top notch. But, you know, it's all Chavo's fault. And he brought this art to me, brought this horrible art. And then I didn't have any, you know, I didn't have any other choice but to print it, of course. Huh. You know what, man? Let's talk a little bit about this because um you know, it's been a while since uh, this this wound, this old wound, has been you know had some salt rubbed into it. Yeah. Because like last year, last summer, 
this is like a big topic on the podcast. Yeah. You know, there's like three or four episodes where all I did is talk about, you know, no matter what, even if it had nothing to do with Black Flag, I'd find a way to incorporate that into the discussion somehow because it was like bumming me out so much. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know about you, man. I mean, I don't, I don't consider that a Black Flag record. That's just like some weird, like, attempt to, like, cash in on a name, you know? And, yeah, the motivations were not... The motivations weren't about were about pretty much anything but making um, making another album in the spirit of a, a new Black Flag album. It was about I mean you could say it was about the lawsuit, but it was I mean there's nothing it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. My my um my friend is like hung out with all of the dudes from you know who are in Flag now, and he told me is that they always talk about Gin. They always talk, it, conversation comes back to them all the time, you know, and everybody who was in Black Flag seems, I mean, probably a hard thing to shake off. Yeah. It seems they seem very impacted by it in one way or another. Who knows what you or I would be like if we had been in Black Flag, because what I hear from other people is that everybody you meet who's in the band is it's kind of like it's still, still in some state of shock. And they have this weird code they do where they... um I was telling my friend about how Pettibone always says, when he mentions Greg Ginn online, he always calls him Gigi, not Alan. And then he's like, that's what these dudes say. He's like, that's what Stevenson and all this Chuck Dukowski says. They go, I'm talking about Gigi and I don't mean Alan. It's, it, but, you know, that's kind of, that's cool. It's like they're like a gang that has their own way of talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the other thing that those guys do is uh, Pe Pettibone would always call Ronald Re Reagan, Ronald Regan. And you can hear that. Isn't that like a... That's on an old Minutemen album. Uh -huh, where he goes... Yeah. This is, goes out to Ronald Regan, I, wherever he is. I hope he's sleeping safe tonight. And they start doing Little Man with a gun in his hand. Mm -hmm. It's some kind of weird Huntington Beach thing. Some kind of inside joke. Anyways, um, yeah, they, he, told, he tells me they, they talk about Ginn on a daily basis. And the impact that he's had on them and what the, he's, they're up to. So in the wonder, we're talking about it. Yeah. So, uh, what is the status of the band though now? Is it is it hmm. just um, you know are they going to try to do another album, do more touring? Yeah. Well, I know because Mike V is allegedly the singer now. Yeah, and he's going to he supposedly is going to make he says you know he's going to go he's on a full tilt sprint to the end of the line that he's like this is what my this is what my future's about I'm ready to be the singer for Black Flag and he's he's kind of being Gin's mouthpiece because Gin doesn't talk to the press is what I understand. And he said that, uh, you know, they're, they're going to do this and it's going to be more cohesive than it was in the past. And the way that, you know, the way that things fell apart in the past is all on Chavo's shoulders, which is kind of awful. Wow. And, and seemed, they just threw him under the bus completely. Yeah. I can't find that hard to believe that it's all rests on one guy, <laughs> the failure. Yeah. The uh, artistic failure of that record and the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I didn't... I didn't hate the album and one song I, I think the song that closed it off I liked um, talking to Eric who was on here with me last time yeah. he, he has he you know he understands music technically like you do and he was like those songs aren't finished and he said they're not mixed either huh. and he said that if you listen to it all the songs just end they don't even fade out they huh. just stop like on a dime and he was telling me that that's a result of them not being mixed it's like it's not a finished album. It just threw a bunch of shit together. Wow. See, now that really bums me out because that's the thing that, like, you know, when you talk about Black Flag, like, the thing I've always, 
like the life changing, you know, mm. characteristic of that band mm -hmm. is the way that they worked to have like this sort of, you know, ultimate statement. Like their music, their songs, everything was like thought, dissected, reassembled, you know, tried at different tempos and just, you know, when you finally are listening to the songs, you know, there's like tons of demos of all these songs that are floating out there. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, wow, this is how they did the, vo how Rollins did the vocals on it this time. And now mm -hmm. what you have on the record, it's like, okay, so that is the end result. So it really makes me sad to hear that, that they were just a bunch of stuff they threw together and just kind of like went with it, you know? Yes, yeah, so I remember what he told me, that he said it sounded like they they were all in different states when they did them, that Gin would do the music, and then he'd send it off to what to, to Chavo to do vocals over, and I can't remember what else he was telling me, but, you know, I don't, I don't really think about music in a technical way. Uh -huh. and a lot of times I'll, I'll, I can form a lot of affection for a song, even if I hate the way it was produced. Like we were talking about X before, yeah. Like the horror, you know that weird, that weird. They got the producer from Queensrÿche to do Ain't Love Grand, <laughs> and you can, you know, or Iggy's albums in the '80s, which are really, you know, uh, especially blah 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 has all the synthesizer all over uh -huh. it. But if you want to like the songs, you know, and you wanna, you want to kind of, uh, you know, well, it helps also if you hear them live, like with Iggy and X. I heard the songs on live albums and realized that those songs are great songs. Yeah, totally. Then yeah. I could hear it in another context. So even when I listen to the studio versions, I can still, uh, I can still kind of, you know, kind of feel their heart more because I can remember what it sounded like on the uh, whisk live at the Whiskey Go Go album, where you hear amazing versions of Burning House of Love and other so uh, other songs from Ain't Love Grand. And Iggy has a s album called Live in New York where you hear really killer versions of stuff from Blah Blah Blah. Like um, the song Blah 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 itself and uh, Shades. Like all those songs are just, you know, he could sing them just his voice. The vocals alone, you can hear his voice just dripping with sincerity. Well, that, that's kind of the interesting thing about, you know, just I know from my experience with music, it's that, you know, when you, when you get a record, you know, you, you, that's only like one version of the song. It's like... Um, you know, the produced sort of dissected version of the song that actually gets out there. But then that might be a lot different than, um, you know, the version that's you guys have in the practice space. You know mm. what I mean? Like that, that to me is like the real version of the song, not mm. the one on the album. And then, you know, when you go out on tour and the, just the version of the song you play live is like the real version. And, you know, it's, you know, like two guitars and, or one guitar or whatever. And then without like all the production and the weird triggers and all that, that kind of stuff like that, you know, is the more real version of the song. So that's why a lot of times when I hear a record, I'm like, if I, there, you can tell there's something there, but it's like, you know, it might not be, it might be surprising to you that you're not moved as much. But then when you see it live, sometimes you might, it might affect you in a completely different way, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like, it's like Iggy Pop. Cause some of those records, I like the songs. I just don't like the way they sound. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So. Have you gone? Have you listened to like? Have you gone through an Iggy period that was as intense as your Black Flag period ever? No, no. I mean, I always liked Iggy and the Stooges, but I would be lying to say that he was like you know like this, you know, uh, sort of huge influence or something, or you know, I was a huge fan. I mean, I like. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. Like I have many Stooges records, and yeah. you know, I like Iggy, but mm -hmm. I was never like a student of his music like some people are. You know. Well, he's one of those, he's a lot, you know, the thing about him and Rollins that is similar and is that you know, they have personalities that you get, that you can, 
like through the music and their the charisma comes across and they're really likable and they're inspiring. Yeah. They're a little bit like superheroes. Yeah. So Iggy, I really, uh, I, I, one by one, I went through every, and Dylan, Bob Dylan's that way too. He's a little bit of a cartoonish character and you're kind of like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The kind of mo- almost model like a way of being an adult for you. But, uh, yeah, uh, Iggy, uh, for a long time, I thought that Kill City and the Repo Man song were kind of like these anomalies in his solo career and that everything else was like a kind of a huge worthless pile of shit. Yeah. And slowly I got into his whole solo career. Uh, I mean, I still love Kill City above all other albums, but like Brick by Brick's a great album. Uh, um, blah Blah Blah's a great album. His 90, actually, you know what I discovered was the Beat Em Up album. And okay. I was I was like, this album is the best thing he had done since Kill City. And actually, um, the uh, the cover artwork is, uh, have you ever seen that one? It's like a girl with a bikini and the 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 bikini, the crotch of the bikini is like a, is a hand with a gun. I haven't seen that. And my, um, Todd James did it, who's okay. actually married to my, he's almost like related to me. He's my cousin's, mar- he's his married, his, Todd James' wife is has a brother who's married to my cousin. So I know Todd and, um, he's actually contributed to suspect device, but, uh, I thought that was such, it gave him such a pedigree before I knew that he was like a really respected graffiti artist and all this shit that he had done that album. Anyway, so beat him up as a killer album. And I went back and I listened to all the albums one by one. And, uh, yeah, you, Iggy's amazing. He's a lot like him and D.D. Ramon, you know, they both have that ability to write something that's so fucking obvious and yeah. almost sub, like, I don't know what you call it, almost like credinous, credinous, whatever, to use like a Ramon's word. Like it's almost like, he'll see something that's really sublime and beautiful and then they'll kind of match it up with something that's just dumb as shit, you know? Interesting. So, but and that's what makes them great. The balance of the smart and the stupid is so brilliant. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I, the Ramones I'm actually a huge fan of. Like, I, you know, that was like probably the first like punk rock group I ever listened to when I was a kid. You know, like just some dude came back from California one summer and he had all these records on tape, so it just made its rounds. You know, you got into them before Black Flag. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't even know about Black Flag. It was like I remember hearing about the Ramones. And I was like, oh, this is punk rock, man. It's like what people have been talking about. I'm like, this is pretty cool. Yeah. And then one summer, like I was saying, this kid, Mike Katz, who um, was like an older guy, you know, he was like way into metal for a while. I mean, that's like really, like I'm, I'm like at heart, you know, Judas Priest, you know, Sabbath, you know, like Led Zeppelin, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, this guy was like this drummer. He played in all these bands. And then like one summer, he was like, he came back and he was a punk. <laughs> and he's like, oh man, yo, Van Halen, that's that's for kids, man. This is like the real deal. And he <laughs> had he had um Let Them Eat Jelly Beans, that compilation mm-hmm. and that had Black Flag on it. Mm-hmm. DOA. Song. You know what? I have it's, yeah, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on what song it was. But it's Black Flag, DOA, the feeders. Um you know Feeders is another LA band, right? Yeah, it was like except for the DOA is from from Canada. But yeah, it was like that kind of trip, you know what I mean? And that that record, and then uh, Circle Jerks, and like a mixed Circle Jerks cassette, a mixed like suicidal cassette, and then a mix of Bad Brains material. Like those cassettes were the ones that got, you know, launched my you know interest in like punk music. Yeah, you know, and at that point I was like, you know, hacking around on the guitar and starting to play in bands, and you know, I 
and I'm like, wow, this is like something I can actually play. Cause like up to that point, I was like trying to play like, you know, Sabbath riffs and Led Zeppelin and do guitar solos and shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, this is something that's more of my speed, man. Like playing Ramon songs and, you know, doing some circle jerks type songs and it sort of influenced, you know, that whole thing coming together. I was like, yeah, man, like I can, I can do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's, uh, <clears throat> It's amazing looking back, like in the last 10 years, how inspiring it was in comics to see people who just were obviously just picking up the pen and the paper and you could kind of break down how they were doing what they were doing. And um, I've become friends with uh, Bobby Madness on Facebook and I keep on telling him, you know, 10 years ago, he, he did an issue of Comet Bus and he's just like a pure punk, just a pure punk rocker. He did all these stories about, you know, funny stories about like, you know, dealing acid at, at slap shot shows and getting his out, you know, getting like run out, getting run, run out, uh, run out of the club by the straight edge, uh, yeah. fans. And like, there's a bunch of crazy stories like that about being a young punk kid. And I remember reading them and being like, this guy's just getting all his thoughts down and his stories and he's doing it right now. And I was like, I really want to fucking do this and being really, you know, kind of pissed off at myself that I wasn't getting my own, my own act together. And, uh, it's cool. Now we're friends. And he, I look back though, and I was like telling him, I, I think I, you almost see it as somebody who's just, they're closer to being who you are. They're just a couple laps ahead and you can see yourself catching up with them. It's not like, you know, listening to reading a comic book by somebody who's such an ultra pro. Yeah. Like some like, you know, Jack Kirby or something like that, you know, reading the silver surfer by Jack Kirby, you know, and you're yeah. like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You might say, yeah. I mean, he, he also can inspire you in a, in a different way, but this one, yeah, it's so, it's so DIY that you can really, it almost invites you to pick up the pen yourself and somebody else who, I mean, of course I saw underground comics before, but I feel like him and another artist was Elizabeth Bethia, and I saw her stuff again in about 2000. She did a book, which I don't remember what it was called. And she's also, you know, she contributes to Suspect Device now. She's done, I think, three of the issues, maybe four. And I mean, it was such a coup to reach out to her and get her to do my stuff. I mean, she's a badass. She's like a darker, like she's a darker version of like Matt Groening in terms of like you know how Life in Hell was super accessible. Yeah. Um, and uh, she, so it's interesting because I knew that, of course, you know, people, there's, leg, there's legendary underground artists that set the bar for everybody and inspired every, inspired a whole generation to pick up a pen. But these are people kind of filled in the blank, filled in a little, a little sort of, um, a little gap in, in the development of comics. I mean, it's important to me that I saw people in 2000 who are a little bit off the radar and weren't doing something that was super in style. I mean, Bobby's punk comics weren't hip punk comics. Elizabeth was just doing her own thing. And they weren't young either. They weren't like 20 fucking years old. They were about 30. And yeah. that was about how old I was. And I was like, this makes me want to work. So, yeah, anyway, so it's to, there's some kind of parallel there with, um, you know, the whole history of ba DIY bands inspiring people to make music like you were talking about. Yeah. And then, you know, once, once that sort of, you know, germ of, uh, consciousness sort of entered me, the punk rock sort of consciousness, you know, I found Black Flag, like this, this kid that I used to whiff weights with, you know, he, uh, we, there was, uh, we were in his car one day and like, you know, he's a couple years older than me and we were driving out to the gym and, uh, 
we had um, this. Uh, there's a radio station called WXCI. Now that actually over the you know the course of my youth, that that radio station was like key on so many levels because that they had a hardcore punk radio show. They had like an underground like thrash metal show where I heard you know Celtic Frost for the first time, Venom like you know early like Metallica when they were like just you know really starting out. Mm-hmm. You know that was the metal show, and then on the punk show I heard um, uh, Black Coffee by Black Flag. So I was like, wow, this is like fast Black Sabbath, you know? I'm like, so I, how old are you at this point? At this point, I was like 13 or 14, maybe. Oh, so it was like right when the Black Coffee was coming out. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, this is like, I can get behind this, man. This is like cool, you know? So um, that sort of got me into the whole realm of Black Flag. And then I went out to go find records by them. And, you know, this is the 80s, you know? Let's, you know, there's probably a lot of people listening to this who are like, you know, quite a bit younger. And they grew up with the internet, and their, you know, the accessibility of getting records was a lot different mm-hmm. back in 1985 or 84 or whatever than it is now. Yeah. So, you know, I had to find a record store that had this stuff. You know what I mean? And when you found a record store that had it, they didn't have every one of the records. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now this predated my my discovery of Trash American Style, which was like this iconic record store mm. in Connecticut mm-hmm. that was like, you know, like 15, 20 minutes from where I grew up. Hmm. It predated that. So if I had, I gone there first, I would have been, you know, I would have been hooked up totally. They would have had the entire catalog, whatever. But I went to like some random record store in a mall and I looked and they had like a small punk section. I looked in there and they had like, you know, sex pistols and whatever. The only black flag record they had was family man. <laughs> so that was the first Black Flag record I actually got was Family Man, right? So I remember I, I, I'm like this 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 like album cover is fucking right. far out, man. I'm yeah. like you know it's like this dude like killed his family, he's got a gun to his head, you know. I'm like this is some far out shit, man. So um, I took it home, I listened to it. I'm like you know that weird poetry in the beginning. I'm like I better turn this down. I want my parents to hear this, man. This is like they're gonna think I'm like you know you know, going to murder somebody or something, you know, like, like yeah. I'm going off the deep end listening to this stuff. So I remember being really like, like kind of not really knowing what to make any of this stuff. Cause yeah, I was like 13 or 14 years old, man, at the time, maybe 15 at that point. Um, so I'm like, what the fuck, man? And then the, the side two with like the, the instrumental jams on there, I was like, I, you know, does this guy even know how to play guitar? That was like the wow, first thing yeah. that I was like, because like, this is such like completely obscure, you know, guitar playing, and, and it was just blew my mind how crazy it was. And then the song Armageddon Man came on. It's about to ask it, ask that was on there, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, damn, this is like some powerful shit, man. It's like the one song that just is like a straight ahead rock song, where the whole there's a fusion of the lyrics and the the instrumental shit. Yeah. Well, the thing that got me about Black Flag was how like kind of slow they were because all the punk that I knew was like Bad Brains are like super fast, Circle Jerks are fast, you mm-hmm. know, like you know DOA was a fast band, the Ramones are fast, but Black Flag had this like intense, like brooding, like slowness to their songs in that era. You know, I discovered later that they had all this other material that was like closer to what Circle Jerks sound like. Mm-hmm. But you know, this is like. You know, I'm getting pieces of intel here and there, you know, getting some recon done, like pulling in some data. You know, I'm not, 
it's not like I just downloaded their entire catalog on iTunes and went through it. Like I had to like piece together little things, you know, I found like an interview here, you know, like I talked to this guy, he gave, he made me a cassette, you know? So, um, you know, pretty much off the bat, they were like my favorite band just mm -hmm. because of that. Cause they were so fucking far out and mm -hmm. just like, there are pieces of metal in there. There was like, yeah, like you can hear Cause you know, that was my background. I like Judas Priest and Sabbath, you know, you can hear that in there. You can hear there's like this metallic, like sheen to the whole thing. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, this is something I get mm -hmm. into. So then in my head comes out. Okay. Now the record before that was, um, loose nut, loose nut, which is, uh, you know, a polished sort of more straightforward kind of like, you know, a little bit more, I would say, I would venture to say that record has like a little bit more of an accessible vibe to it than say damage does. You know, there's great songs on it, but then like, in my head comes out and it's like this completely like claustrophobic, like, uh, you know, loner fucking record, mm -hmm. you know, like that's like, you know, mm -hmm. I imagine this record playing with, you know, Travis Bickle's like hanging out in his, in his one room mm -hmm. apartment, you know, shaving his head and like looking in the mirror and being like, you looking at me, I don't see anyone else here. You know, like that's the vibe of that whole record. It's just like this, like intense living alone, you know, the being crushed by the daily grind of like life, you know, waking up every day, going to your job at the factory, driving home, stopping at the seven eleven to get like a microwave burrito and like a, a jolt cola and then like going home and doing it all over again. Mm -hmm. It had that intensity of just like the sort of collapse of like the American dream, like the sort of um you know, victimization of our po of our population by like these you know, greedy, like, overlords, you know. That's kind of what I got out of it, you know what I mean? And, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, and then I read recently that that was supposed to begin like, one of his, his first solo album, so, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, did you hear that? Like, when did, when did you get into that record? Well, let's say, actually, they did a review of it in the Columbus, I lived in Columbus, Ohio, and they had a review of it, and what they, oh, yeah, yeah, they said really briefly in the paper, it had just come out, it was like 85, or... And it said, uh, um, the guy, the, the reviewer said that Black Flag had turned into Black Sabbath. And that was a kind of, a, you know, that was, um, you know, my early experiences with juxtaposition of two opposites. I was like, and, and I remember it's very, it was very much like uh, an idea of, how can I put this? Um... This is an idea that really supports the status quo. It's kind of like, you know, well, look, this wild, you know, this wild horse, it's kind of tamed, and it's just part of, the, it's, you know, it's doing, not trying to be renegades anymore, they're doing an older style. And so I felt like there was a very self-satisfied thing for the critic to be saying that, you know? And you, I used to hear that a lot in Ohio. People would love to say shit like, I don't need to listen to any punk, I listen to The Clash, you know, oh no! I knew this kid in high school who'd say, "I have to listen to the Clash." The fucking they're just they're just the Who, you know. So it's a good excuse for complacency. But anyway, so uh, then a couple years later, I remember Maximum Rock and Roll, like uh, um, Ben Weasel did a was talking about his whole history of punk and he said you know I heard the first Black Flag album I felt like breaking things when I heard the last one I felt like vacuuming my carpet I don't get that yeah I don't get that at all man 
uh, took like, a while. It makes cool. me want to like blow up a fucking building. When I heard that record, I wanted to like plant dynamite in the fucking building and blow it the fuck up. That's what I really wanted to do when I heard that record. I want to vacuum. But hey, that's Ben Weasel, man. It's Ben Weasel, <laughs> and it's it did sound like you said you already had a lot of affection for Judas Priest and a lot of punks. That's just the that you know that that would have been enough for them to not look past the surface. That sounds so metally. I, I did get a big sense for I'd say in a, maybe five years from like. 89 to like 94, I think is the first time it started to be reevaluated. Now, I heard it. I had a shitty cassette of it. I didn't think it was great. And then I got another cassette version of it the first week I moved to Los Angeles. And I got really into it. And I um, I found out pretty quickly it's a really good makeout album. Oh, good. Cool. You know? Really? And yeah. I mean, not that it was uh, uh, some like girl that I was having some little like thing with, who was which was a total fucking mess. But uh, we were at my apartment, and I was really lonely, and we started, like, making out for, like, a couple hours while playing it. And I was like, I'm really getting deeply in touch with this girl and what it means, you know, listening to this fucking... This is, like, the Barry White of punk albums. And then at one point, she kind of kind of looked up, and she was like, "You really, are you really into this music? So we weren't really... Yeah. <laughs> seeing, it didn't hit the same way with her. Uh-uh. Huh. But, but I remember I'd heard... And then I, later on, I heard somebody else say the same thing. They discovered it's a great sex album. I never really experienced that, honestly. Um, but this brings up a point where it's like, I think one of the reasons why I, I never have been... I mean, you know, I, I like punk, man. You know, I consider myself at heart, you know, sort of a punk, like in, in ethics, I guess, you know. and But, like, so much or so many punkers are, like, just... You know, like these fucking hmm. people who just like what they like, you know, they have this very narrow idea of what punk rock's supposed to be. And I think that they have like sort of in their, they've policed their own scene into non-existence and irrelevance, you know, because they don't allow any, and it's like, you know, it's like if you had an island of people that were all living, you know, together and they just fucked each other for like decades, they would all be a bunch of retards, you know, <laughs> that's kind of what punks are. You know, it's like all they do is like rehash the same riffs. You know, there's like the same kind of lyrical content. They don't have any new ideas coming into their music. And if there is something new, they reject it as being like, oh, well, you know, this is like, you know, some like Black Oak, Arkansas shit, man. Like, I don't, you know, I don't need this, I, you know. And by definition, it just makes them, you know, after a while, it just becomes irrelevant. Like, you have to have new ideas. You have to have new DNA into the primordial soup you know to make things progress you know and i guess like earlier on i guess that's that was my big schism with like punks where it's like you know i was really into that record mm. and even like you know throughout my life i was like yeah man i love everyone's trying to tell me like oh man i like the keith morris black flag best mm -hmm. i was like are you fucking kidding me man like yeah, that stuff's cool mm -hmm. right but that doesn't stand up to the to the um to the des you know what des was doing and, that, and, and in my opinion, like the most sort of out there progressive portion of the band was the, the, the era that Rollins was in, along with like Bill Stevenson and Kira, and, you know, that, that, that lineup, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of Dukowski in the beginning. But um, that's the thing. That's my biggest criticism, man. It's like, you know, everyone's got their head so far up their ass that they don't want to hear anything new. And then when something new is presented to them, they just run away from it because they don't know how to process it. You know, and it's just like, I don't know, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, I mean, I, I like uh, Jawbreaker, you know, 
but they're a fucking pop band, really. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like they're not. Yeah, I guess they're punks as people, but their music does not challenge me at all. But their music is just a bunch of three chords put together with like songs about dudes' girlfriends and. Jawbreaker you know, like, from Discord. Yeah, uh, Jawbreaker was on. Uh, they weren't on Discord. They were on some East Bay uh, label, and then they got signed to a major. Mm. You know, mm. you know. I lo- I think they're a great band, man. I like them. You know, I used to like to hang out with girls who had Jawbreaker patches on their bags, and you know, they had like you know the baggy pants and everything, and, and that was all cool. But that music doesn't reach me. That doesn't make me want to go out and like blow a fucking building up like Black Flag does. You know. I don't know, man. That's just always been my thing. And maybe that's why, like, you know, I, I've never been able to fully connect with some of this stuff. You know what I mean? What do you think of, uh, like, Loose Nut was really, like, an album where Greg, like, the band was, like, kind of claiming this, um, they were, they were, uh, well, they dealt with a lot of sexual stuff and slip it in. They dealt with stuff like that. Like, Loose Nut itself was some sort of, like, like uh, sexual power, like um, statement of declaration. I think it was like you know that idea of a you know the power coming from the from from your nuts, from your balls. Yeah, it's a play on word and all that play on words, and it's about the zaniness, the the zaniness of punk, the punk rock persona, you know. But there's something also where Black Flag careens over to some creepy territory where they don't know what the fuck they're talking about and Ginn got worse and worse of his solo albums he did some I mean there was like a weird there was some weird shit I think I talked about it on here before on like the El Bad album yeah um and uh you know the album art for Loose Nut is is you know the whole women are capable of making great artists get it making I mean it's not surprising that you know you've heard I've heard since that that was the that them doing that out, putting the artwork on the album without Pettibone's permission is a thing that caused a major rift between them and him, them and him before that it had been all collaboration. I don't know. I don't even understand how they went ahead and continued to just take his art and put it on the, in my head album either. But I wonder if, um, you know, it's sometimes when you deal with like the ambiguities and sexuality and you don't have a real, you don't have a real point to make. You're just throwing it out there, being like, "Look how weird this shit is." It comes off as vague and creepy. Yeah, no, I agree with that. You know, yeah. yeah. And we were talking about late Rollins band. Oh yeah, man. And okay. we had there's that song "Raped," I think. Yeah. The, on it's and, on. Um, I'm sure nobody who's listening to this podcast has heard. Right, like probably five people have heard if that. that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Josh, like if I I hadn't even really heard those last few Rollins band records. Until you suggested I check them out. Yeah. Because um, when when they when he sort of reformed at Mother Superior, I uh, they came through town on tour and I was like, oh, I gotta go check this out. It sounds great. Yeah. And I just wasn't into it, man. Mm. So I just sort of dismissed that entire thing. You know, it's funny seeing Rollins Band Mach Two or whatever. Yeah. Um, or what they call it, Two Point Rollins Band Two I saw them. I think it was two thousand. And he hadn't, he was 99, and uh, it was a good, that was actually a good show for me. And I was talking about that period where, like, seeing Elizabeth Bethia, Bethia and John, uh, Bobby Madness inspired me to get back into comics. Seeing that Rollins Band show got me back, got, made me make a decision at the end of my 20s that I was going to do comics, actually. Because I don't know if you, I went through a period where I was really, um, um, 
I just uh, thought I was just going to try to be a hard guy. And I wasn't. I want to be an artist. What I just you mean a hard guy, like beat people up for a living, or what, no? What are you talking about a hard guy. No, um, I just want to be like get really tough and hard, and be like the sort of dude who I felt like I'd read about in Rollins' diaries. Okay, and just be like I didn't want to beat up anybody or be violent, but you know, not really. Like, I don't know, but I like want to weightlift a lot and get uh-huh. a lot of tattoos, and just be one of those hardcore kids, and just be really into this music, and kind of be too too good for art. Almost, it's not to be, you know, not not an asshole kind of way, but trying to be, mis, you know, Mr. Reality, like Rollins is always talking about. And I went through a period where, you know, I just all I do is read prison books and read Jim Thompson and just try to be super fucking heavy, but not really. It's kind of inspired. This is in the 90s, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, what I was trying to do in the 90s, except I was playing in a band, though. <laughs> but yeah, Definitely. And seeing that, and I didn't care about communicating with every, anybody. I was just like, if I don't want to talk to anybody, that's just another expression of my nihilism. And I'm watching the show. I was in my 20s, and I'm like, you know, maybe getting, you know, in my, I think subconsciously, I started to turn these ideas over. And uh, I was watching, I, it's, I ended up seeing the show in, um, in Pomona, California, and I was actually up there working a job, and I saw a flyer, saw that my hero Rollins, who I hadn't listened to since, hadn't done anything since 96, was doing a show that night. So I stayed, got to work at 5 o'clock in the morning. After work, I got off at 6, and I just hung around drinking coffee until the show. And I went there, and nobody came out. It was really small, but that was kind of cool because it was a big place, and it Uh felt like, you know, he's playing for, it was like under 100 people. Yeah. And uh, it was cool. I thought the material was awesome. But he started doing shit from hard volume. Started, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And he did... If He, he did... Uh, might have been turned inside out or something. It wasn't down in a way because I, I would have remembered that. But he started singing it. And I, I listened to that song so many fucking times in the early 90s. And I just... Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm every, every... As he's singing, like, every word's coming out of my mouth. And I'm like... It kind of triggered something for me. I was like... I know it's obvious, but I was like, I never would have heard of this guy if he hadn't sat down and stopped and wrote that, committed, you know, recorded, made recordings. Yeah. It's like, these have been really important to me, and maybe I could do that for somebody else and stop fucking around and stop thinking I'm too good for art and try to be an artist. So I understand the shortcomings of that band. I did rec- I did notice right away that the drummer was no Sim Kane. Oh, yeah. The, ba- yeah. the bass player, whatever his name is, Marcus or something, was, um, I thought was really pale, very pale imitation of their best, the bass, best bass player for the Rollins band. Yeah, it was yeah, Andrew Weiss. So I still miss. But I thought the guitarist was good, and I thought, and, it, and I was more, like I was talking about, listening to, you know, almost listening through the production and the trappings and all the amenities and hearing what you want to hear in a band, like I did with those X albums. I, like, just was focusing on uh, this dude who was still going. I guess Rollins was in 99, he was about to be 40, so he was, you know, going, just... You know, he was going to keep on going as long as he could. He didn't make it that much longer, though. He's quit doing music before he, five years before he turned 50. I think yeah, he, yeah. I think the last tour was with X, right? In 90. Yeah, and that was with, um, with like, sort of, like, the almost original lineup without yep. Weiss, but with, it had Melvin Gibbs. Yeah, yeah. And there was, like, that, uh, there was a, one of the, one of his books had, like, the journal from that tour. I had that, uh, a dull roar. Yeah, that's what it is, and they're kind of, he's, there was like the idea of maybe doing more stuff and you know but then like ultimately it was like this is not where where we're at anymore sadly yeah yeah 
I, I'm, I, I honestly do feel let down that Rollins doesn't continue with music. Honestly, I don't, I don't understand that. You know. Well, I mean, I think the fact that I mean, it's weird. He doesn't have anything on Spotify. He's got wait, and he's got end of silence, and that's it. And he seems I bet he's one of those dudes from the little bit I've heard him say in the introductions to his books. He's one of those artists I bet who's really critical about anything he put out. So like when he re released he did that book The First Five, which is one from none, which is a shitty book kind of actually, but he did Pissing in the Gene Pool, End to End, Two Thirteen Sixty One, and Polio Flesh. And he said well, I, bust, I busted these books out. And he goes, I was surprised that they're actually really good. This is like 95. And I'm like, are you, are you crazy? You think, you know, Bang is a bad book. You know, Now Watch Him Die is a bad book. Those were your fucking good books. I bet he's one of those artists who he he has a blind spot for what's best about what he does. I bet he doesn't know how good the, you know, the album, these really, really late albums are. I, I actually got to say that I enjoyed them. I mean, I... um. You know, I think that, like, in general, I just feel differently about it. I mean, at the time, when it, when this new band came out, I wanted I wanted Chris Haskett and, like, mm-hmm. Sim Kane, and I didn't get that. So <laughs> I was, like, really resistant to it. Yeah. But, like, we were talking about Iggy, how Iggy is, like, still Iggy, even though some of the records sound a little weird, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and But the, the, the sort of, you know, spirit of the music is still intact, and I think that's what the Rollins Band stuff is, like, those... The ones that I heard, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't able to get all of them, but I had, um, uh, nice and nicer shade of nice red, nice and nicer shade of red, which are sort of recorded around the same time, right? Because they were ones like B sides or out outtakes of the other, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, sort of revisiting that, you know, that band with fresh ears and a bunch of time. I heard it and I was like, yeah, this stuff is actually pretty fucking good. Man. It's really good and it's really emotional in yeah. a really interesting way. And it sounds like the Rollins band. Yeah. Or it sounds like the Rollins band with like a little bit more of like just a raw like rock and roll like vibe to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. More like Rose Tattoo or something. Yeah. And I would even say, and, it's, and I don't mean this at all as, as, as a, um, a slam. Yeah. Because I love the first Guns N' Roses album. Okay. It's almost like Rollins fronting Guns N' Roses or something like that. Sure. I mean, I know that's kind of weird, but like, but how Guns N' Roses are like the sort of heavy rock band. That's kind of what, what the Rollins band, those later records to me had that vibe, but like way heavier. Yeah. You know? So what did you think was the best song that you heard on them? Um, Marcus. Uh, has the devil has in the him. devil in him. How's that one go? I it's like this brutal, like, it sounds like Celtic yeah. Frost or like Buzz Oven or something like that. Yeah, I can hear Yeah, man, he has a lot of good ones. There's a um, song, uh, there's some really cool, kind of sad, sad songs. Like, there's this one called, um, there's one which is obviously about Joe Cole called Side by Side, which is really good. And there's one which is about, like, kind of walking until he freezes to death. And I think I've heard him say before, that's his fantasy of how he'd go out. And he just, um, so it's called, like, Frozen Nights or something. There's one which I really like how bleak a lot of the songs are. They are, lyrically, man. There's one which is on Yellow, uh, yellow, yellow Blues, which is my all-time favorite of that period, called Hold On. That's an epic, great 
naked, emotionally naked song about, you know, about being heartbroken. Yeah. It's so fucking good. And um, my ex-girlfriend and I, like, I got her into I put on a mix for her. It's like eight minutes long. So to me, there's uh, there's really long songs to me are a callback to Hot Animal Machine. Yeah. When mm-hmm. he was doing it. And, and then he has some, speaking of Hot Animal Machine, well, Hot Animal Machine, he was trying to top the what they had done on side two of My War. Mm-hmm. So uh, when he does Hot Animal Machine part two, I think, which is just all the screaming and the soundscape, he's got songs that are like that, too, during this period. So he's got one, but he can't scream in the same way. So he was doing a lot of other sounds. You know, there's a lot, of t- there's like some weird studio tracks where he's making these like Godzilla like screams it's not like he's using a different part of his throat because yeah. you know the throat at that point the instrument that was his voice had really been altered from back in the day oh yeah yeah I mean totally yeah I mean he also I think Henry learned how to sing as opposed to like when you first you know start you know doing this thing you're just like banging it out you're just like ah, you know like you don't even know how to breathe or mm-hmm. and um if you remember there was a a, a, a point in time where he had polyps in his throat yeah you yeah. know so that right there changes the way you approach singing you know you got to actually figure out how to breathe and like you know not destroy your you know your your, your vocal cords yeah yeah you know and it's good i think his voice sounds better like he sounds even 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 though i love like lifetime and like you know hard volume and those hard are volume, my yeah. favorite records but like you can tell his voice is being pushed to the limit man he had strep throat and hard volume yeah, it wow. shows. It shows, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting how um, then there's that kind of like uh, gap where he wasn't... Um, there's like a couple of tracks he did. Uh, he, did a, he did a Led Zeppelin cover like After Wait where his voice is in such good shape. And also uh, it's called something like... Something like sexual dysfunction dynamic like military dysfunction blues or something that was huh. on that was on uh mike watt's solo album oh yeah i'm you know i, I had to recheck that out again man. oh that's a good album yeah it is i, I haven't listened to it in ages though the best part is when he does like a 10 minute long version of um of uh some some, some funk song uh, mag maggot brain who does that song uh, I, I, I'm drawing a blank on that. George Clinton, maybe? maybe it's like some yeah. funk song, and it's a mag with um, uh, Jay Mascus. Oh, wow. Okay. That's the that's the fucking greatest, most, that's the most rocking song on that Mike Watt album. But anyways, he didn't do a lot of material, you know? It's, he did After Wait. He didn't come out with anything until End of Silence, and End of Silence, that was, that was somewhere in between those two albums is when he had the polyps. So if you want to hear his voice like at its peak... Like those are the last two tracks that you can really hear him when he was still able to do that, you know, brutal old school hardcore singing. Because his voice has gotten better, I think, in those later records. Like it's more like, you know, there's more of like a, a melody. He can carry a melody, a tune more, I think, after he learned how to actually sing. You know. Did I ever give you that track that I have on a bootleg of him doing uh, "Damaged" when he was like in 2004 when he was doing the benefit tour? Oh no! no. Oh wow. Yeah, I'll send it to you. I found it off, you know, when LimeWire was still happening or something like that. I found some bootleg of it, and he never did Damaged live. I mean, the slow version of Damaged. Yeah. It's Damaged 1, right? Uh-huh. And the fast one was Damaged 2. So I'll send that to you, and that's cool. I played it for my friend Joaquin, and he was like, fuck, I haven't heard him scream like this in a long time. So you saw a couple of those shows, right? 
I did not see the the my the whatever the West, West Memphis, Memphis three, three tour. No. I saw two. You did. I saw the New York one. And I went up to Boston. Yeah. Yeah. Me and uh, my friend Chris and my other friend Taz. Chris was actually on the podcast, you know, about a year ago. Um, he's like a attorney writing writer guy. Mm-hmm. It's um he's putting together this uh, this book about his uncle who has been incarcerated his entire life. Shit. And just got out, and the dude's like in his seventies, and you know he's writing, you know, interviewing him and putting together his story. Wow, it's really interesting, you know. But anyway, um, yeah, me and Chris and this other guy Taz, we're all friends, and uh, Taz was the original drummer in Anodyne, my other band before Tombs. Oh, right, I love Anodyne. Yeah, he was on the first, uh, you know, the early early recordings of that band. So anyway, yeah, they came down to New York. We checked out. Um, you know, Rollins band doing the black flag covers and we drove up to Boston and checked them out up there. And, uh, it was pretty fucking rad, man. Cool. You know, I mean, Keith did like a few songs. Yeah. 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 Keith does it on the bootleg. I have a Keith thinks. Yeah. Yeah. And like Keith came out first and then, uh, you know, they did, they, they ended with gimme, gimme, gimme. Mm-hmm. Right. So then, you know, he's, he's kicking ass, does, you know, three or four songs and, the drum, the drum outro, and gimme, gimme, gimme. Then that flips around into into um, rise above, right? So Keith, during that drum outro, Keith like disappears, and I'm like, you know, oh, what happened to Keith? Hmm. And then you see Henry standing in the back, just like this fucking silhouette man. And he just steps out on stage, and it just like the whole the whole energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just changed, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because you know Keith's awesome. He's like this mm-hmm. intense singer, and he's but he's like a there's more like a fun vibe going on with him but when Henry came out it was like a totally different thing man and they, they did they started you know into um, Rise Above and then you know the whole set was a rager man it was great you know and there, there are differences between uh, the two nights like they didn't do the same exact shit every night I thought it was cool you know so yeah I, I don't have that record though the the um, you know that that tribute record the West Memphis 3 album yeah yeah I had that um, the uh, it would be cool if like you want to do it as an outro I could try to send you that track it would be fun to have that as maybe at the end of the show I don't know if you do that that would be fucking awesome yeah man send it to me too totally Um, yeah it was pretty, it's pretty cool and uh, yeah I avoided uh, I don't know I get a little bit agoraphobic sometimes so I've missed a lot of big shows I didn't watch Flag this summer I didn't see Black Flag come through those two times I was in, even kind of interested in seeing Good for you. It seems like, you know, we talked about this last time I was on. A lot of times, even if the music isn't as good as their, as their, as the, as the stuff they did at their prime, they're going to be more excited about it. You know, I, I like, it's going to be a little bit less played out for them. Yeah. You know, I remember seeing Agnostic Front do a show and they had just come out with Something's Gotta Give and the stuff, it was just artistically more, um, exciting for them you could feel it so i saw um one of my all-time favorite bo- vocal performances was in 96 watching murray do uh, something's gotta give and just like going rocking himself back on his heels and just doing the new material of course it was cool it was cool seeing him do the united blood material but uh same thing with joan jett i know her new songs aren't as fucking epic as her early solo material but when yeah. you see her live she's more excited about it it's more genuinely yeah, of course. exciting for her yeah and suppose the stuff that she can't, I mean, 
how can you sink your teeth into it anymore when they've just you've chewed it up so many times? You know, most people in bands don't want to play old material. I always want to play new material. I don't ever want to go back. You know, like everyone's like, oh, you should play, uh, you know, Gossamer off of Winter Hours. And I'm like, mm, why? You know, if you fucking want to see it, you should have came to see us three years ago. You know, we're fucking playing that song back then. Now we're playing something else. Seriously, you know, it's like you want, you missed it. If you wanted to see that, yeah. we were in your town on this particular day. Where the fuck were you? Yeah. You know, like uh, that's how I that's how I approach it. You know, my. Uh my editor, my friend Box Brown, he's talked about that, how he doesn't like, if he finished the book last year, now he has to return to it because the company needs him to edit it. The, the label needs him to ed edit it. He fucking hates it. He's just, he's evolving and he's into whatever project he's working on then. And I feel, I feel the same way. It's a weird process going back to some, it might be fun if it's something that's 20 years have passed, you know? And you're going back or 40 years and you're going back to something you did at the dawn of your career when you're at the, the you know, at the end of it. Um, but anyways. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I just feel like, you know, like even even these bands like the Cro-Mags and, you know, Agnostic Front, like they're doing this thing of uh, the lineup on uh, Cause for Alarm is playing at that. That, that big, you know, tough guy festival that happens in New York every year. Super Bowl of hardcore? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they're playing that that lineup, which has never played live, ever. I thought they, okay. No, they yeah. put together that lineup to make that record, man. There's that It was not like the band, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, But I'm like, dude, it's been like 30-something years, man. Well, yeah. It's yeah. like you're, you're uh, a different person, man. Yeah. It's like that. I I don't. I'm, I'm just not into that stuff, man. You know, or when Judge had a reunion, especially when they were Youth at of Today. I'm sure I would have been very excited to see Youth of Today, but I didn't go. Yeah, I, I don't care. I don't, I don't give a fuck, man. It's uh, like <laughs> it's I'd like, be I'd be I'd be more excited to see Better Than a Thousand. That was my favorite uh, band by Ray. Anyways. Yeah, yeah, that stuff was pretty cool. Mm. You know, but it's just like the reunion thing, man. And it, it's like I remember. I think when CBs closed down. That was like the beginning of the reunion wave. You know, it was like, because all these bands were getting together to play these last shows. And now it's like, oh, hey, man, why don't we do more of these dates? Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. it's just like, it just got out of hand, I think. Like, there are bands reforming that most people really don't care about. You know what I mean? Because, just, you don't want to say. I don't want to say. That, yeah. You know? And there are some bands that are just like, you know, they had like one record out. And they're like, oh, I remember reunion. I'm like, come on, dude, really? Yeah. I don't know. That's just my take on it. I haven't gone to see I Love Negative Approach, and I love John Brandon is my all-time favorite singer. I think I've missed out. Like I said, I get a little agoraphobic. Sometimes I'm just, I just can't get the energy to go with a bunch of, a bunch of fucking knobheads like, like, out in front of the stage. That's why uh, my favorite shows have been the ones where, for whatever reason, the band managed to, to slip past the audience <laughs> and were like so under kind of underestimate you know whatever they were under kind of under undervalued that i was like one of the only 30 people there at the show those are my favorite shows so when i picture like a big like all these fucking you know i don't know all, all, all the all these like normal fucking people go to shows like many popular shows as they can going i don't need to judge people but when i picture just a huge parade of personalities there in front of the crowd i always get a little bit exhausted yeah, I hear you, man. You know, I saw a negative approach. Um, I, I think it was like at least a year ago. 
um, at uh, that that venue here in Greenpoint, Warsaw, Warsaw. maybe. Warsaw, yeah. Oh, fuck. It was, it was um, some Southern Lord like power of the riff thing, and it had um, Pentagram was the headliner. Who okay. I, want, I want to see them. I like Pentagram. Okay, um, Agnostic Front. Oh wow. Uh, you know, Negative Approach, and then some other bands. Yeah. And I got there to see Negative Approach, and I was just like. You know, really, I would rather see uh, Easy Action. You know, it's like the same thing. Yeah. You know, I love John Brandon. Man. Yeah, I, yeah. I want to see him current. I don't want to see him reaching back to the glory days. You know, I don't know. That's just me, I guess. You know, I don't want. I don't mean to be like uh, a negative uh, blanket of you know. Hmm. You know that that I don't mean to do that to people, but for me, that's not what I want. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, like you said, though, I'm sure you saw positive things in it, just like with the, the Black Flag, you know, the Rollins and Black Flag tour, you found that really inspiring. I'm sure there's, I've watched footage of Negative Approach, you know, doing shit on YouTube, and definitely I'm like, I wish he was, I wish he was this, like this malevolent wave of darkness like yeah. he was in Laughing Hyenas. Yeah, man. Absolutely. But, you know, that's soul music. And like, why are, why are people caring about them, man? Like, why are people I know, like no, going I don't crazy about laughing hyenas? I don't know either. And I remember uh, talking to John because I've seen him. I've seen him tour year in year out since uh, 1989, so for like 25 years. And I remember uh, like 10 years ago, he was like, you know, people come out and they'll say, you know, what are you going to, why don't you do some negative, I mean, he said they were just starting to do NA songs with Easy Action. He said people were really responding and he's like kind of out of the corner of his mouth going, you know, I was in another band for a really long time. Nobody ever talks about the hyenas. No. And I don't know why. I don't know why either. Yeah. It's, it's a drag, man. You know? Yeah. I don't know. In some ways, maybe it's inspiring. I mean, to think that maybe if you're doing work and you're not getting response, you're not getting a response to it. It might actually, it might actually be really good. It's possible to do really good work that affects a small group of people, and not be, not become even a cult figure. It's weird. I mean, the hyenas had a cult. They had a cult figure heyday. But it, there's always, it's always very. Um, you know, why is Nick Cave and Tom Waits completely revered when, I mean, Nick Cave at least is fucking yeah. great. I couldn't give a shit about Tom I, Waits. I don't like Tom Waits either, honestly. I, I don't like him either. But why is like Thalia Zadek and uh, Azita from, um, he was, used to be a Scissor Girls as like a solo career on, on you know, why are, or who else, uh, like why are they ignored? Why is White Magic ignored? Why is like um, Slant, why nobody, does nobody talk about Slant Six and the Casual Dots and Christine Blatt's bands? I mean, those bands <laughs> are fucking, should be, they're historic. I like the Ian McKay's interview, and he doesn't give a shit who says something is unimportant. He he will call he'll call something important if he knows it's important. He knows that the music that he put out on Discord is for the most part important. There's a couple of bands that yeah. were complete shit on Discord, but but majority of them are super fucking important. Yeah. And the ones that I think are shit, he would, still wouldn't care. You know? No, that's the way it should be. Yeah, that's what I think is cool. Is like how I mean Ian McKay, even though I'm not a fan of all of his work, I think that. You know, that, that dude is like the evens. That's what I'm doing now. You know? Yeah, they're good. Yeah. yeah. You know, I like it. You know, it's not really my thing, but I think it's cool. Mm -hmm. I'll put it on. You know, and he's not, there's never going to be like a minor threat, you know. Never. That's what I love about it. <laughs> Fucking know? A, yeah. 
That's there's never going to be anything like that, and no. there shouldn't be. He would. I wonder. Yeah, it's interesting. Back in you know a while ago, he's in a very unique position because he nobody could recreate. You know, he, he owned all his music. I think that he was more willing to take a hard line with not selling out than other members of Minor Threat. And that doesn't mean they're bad people, but it means that they couldn't afford to take this stance of integrity that he could. And I wonder what it's like now that the industry's falling apart. I mean, you have isn't there some kind of talk that they license <coughs> Minor Threat T-shirts to Urban America and shit like that? Yeah, yeah, there was this big thing on the internet about that, and uh, maybe baseball games or something like that. Didn't they use like a Fugazi song for like uh, World Series or I don't know that I don't know. So back in the old days, I know that uh, I would hear people tell me like they'd heard like secondhand that people were in his circle would be like, you know, he's standing in the way of us make other members who have played with him making enough money that they can help support their kids. And now, um, but he always, you know, he said in an interview once that you could not tell people how to recreate his success. He was on the ground floor of something that nobody could anticipate. He owned all his own music. Yeah. And he was said in this one interview, this was probably in the early 2000s, Minor Threat still is selling today to somebody who he's like there's some kid out there who's never heard it who just bought the discography we must sell a copy every single day and now you know that's probably been cut into a sliver yeah but I mean they're they're one of those bands they're like the Led Zeppelin of punk you know what I mean I mean there's like all those early bands are always going to sell records you mm -hmm. know like Black Flags mm -hmm. Minor Threat you know Circle Jerks Dead Kennedys you know they're always going to be a demand for those records because they're at this point they are like Deep Purple and, you know, Led Zeppelin for, for some kids. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's just the way it is. So, so thanks for coming down, man. Yeah, absolutely. It was fun. It's yeah. fun as shit, yeah. Yeah. You know, once again, I apologize for my voice and the sneezing and coughing, but, um, you know, just trying to get through this, uh, this sickness here. And, uh, you know, once again, just want to, Draw your attention to the Datsu Sara links and the uh, Onnit links if you are interested in getting some uh, organic cashew butter <laughs> or um, you know all hemp uh, grappling shorts or you know the Killer Battle Pack bag which I use for everything. Um, it's a great product and we stand behind it. And actually, Chris from Datsu Sara was on the podcast uh, a while back, so you should check out that interview I did with him. And he's like a really cool guy. Just uh, trying, you know, the sort of holding up the spirit of uh, independent entrepreneurship. So try to support him as much as you can. Try to support Onnit Labs. And um, everyone have a good evening. <laughs>